you're visiting this morning, we are going through a series where we're looking at each of the seven values of our church. And remember, the church is just people like you and me. We're the church. The church isn't a building. The church is the people who love Jesus and are walking together. And so if these seven values are going to matter, it means they matter to each one of us as individuals. They can't matter to to a church as an institution. They matter to us as individuals. Then they matter for the church. Amen? That's the truth. And so what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at the different values of Cross Point Church, each one which is rooted in Scripture. The very first value that we looked at was R of Renewed, and that was rooted in Scripture. And last week we looked at earnestly seeking God in worship and in prayer and the other spiritual disciplines that we see Jesus practicing. Well, this morning... We're looking at our third value, which is natural outreach. Every believer, every believer is to reflect the heart of God for people who don't know Jesus. Friends, the hope of the world is not in the power of our military in the United States. The hope of the future of this world is not in politicians. The hope of the future of this world is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And we could have no one better to talk about this issue of natural outreach, sharing Jesus with people, than our good friend, Pastor Dr. Kevin Harney. Have you been called? You never mentioned that you have a doctorate. He has a doctorate, never talks about it, because he's a man of humility who loves Jesus and loves the church of Jesus Christ. Beth and I, oh, I have been privileged to call Kevin Harney a friend for more than 40 years, longer than I've been married. Kevin and I have walked in life together. We've walked in ministry together. Sherry and Beth and Kevin and I are dear friends, and I'm going to talk more about this friendship next week when we talk about relationships, because they mean so much to us. We pray together. We share life together. We had the privilege, I had the privilege of ministering alongside Kevin for over a decade in my last church. Kevin is the greatest leader that I have ever seen in my life. It is a blessing for us as a church this morning to get to hear him teach and preach on the issue of natural outreach. Kevin, this has been his heart as long as I've known him since we were just young, young, young adults. This has been his heart, and I have seen him just make an incredible impact. In fact, I would say, and I know you would not say this, but I would say this, that you are having more influence today or as much influence today on spreading the gospel in the world as anybody I know. He's the national, uh, he's created an organization called Organic Outreach International, which is spreading the gospel, teaching and equipping Christians like you and me and leaders throughout Africa, throughout the world, and how to share our faith. This is critical. Pastor Kevin, come and share with us.
The world is as divided as it's ever been. We all see it. Or feel it. The hopelessness. Confusion. Frustration. The weariness. But it's times like these that matter most. Times like these where we have to decide exactly who we are. Who we're going to be what we're going to do. Where we have to decide, will we shut our doors, fence off our fields, look after our own? Or will we swing wide those doors, make the whole of the earth our field, celebrate what makes us different, hold fast, what makes us one. To plant the seeds of peace, love, of hope. To reach deep with both our hands and scatter those seeds like he told us to. Will we be the people God made us to be? The peacemakers, the lovers of the lost, the light of the world? Will we open our hands, our doors, our lives, our eyes, and work to bring this world what it's longing for? So after Jesus died on the cross, bore our sins, took our shame, paid the price, after he was buried in the tomb for three days, after the glory of his resurrection, he showed up, talked with large groups of people, individuals, pairs of people, spoke with people, and then right before he ascended to heaven, where he continues to be right now interceding for us, for you and for me, he said, this is this the encounter that we see in Matthew chapter 28. I noticed uh, a beautiful globe and scripture right in the middle of your courtyard coming in with some of these words. So they should be familiar to you. But listen to these words. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus, all authority, all power is mine. So let me tell you what you're going to do. Now, therefore, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then in Acts chapter 1, in the same time frame, post-resurrection, pre-ascension, we read these words in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Then they gathered around him. They gathered the disciples, gathered around Jesus. And they asked him, Lord, are you at this time 
going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Is, is this when we get power? Is this when we're in charge? Is this when we get to rule the world? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates. The Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, right where you live. In Judea, your surrounding community. In Samaria, the places you avoid and don't want to go. And to the ends of the earth. Lord Jesus, your call is so clear and so powerful and so rarely followed. We pray that today you would stir our hearts by your Holy Spirit. We pray that today you would give us a vision of what you could do in us and through us and through this congregation. We pray that today would be a day that we would mark in our souls a commitment to follow your great commission. And in the quiet of this moment, I want to ask each person gathered and each person online, just in, in, in the kind of the screen of your mind, in the picture of your mind, will you picture one person that you love, that you care about, that needs to hear about Jesus, that needs to know the Savior? Maybe they grew up in the church, they've wandered. Maybe they come from just far, far away from the Christian faith. They grew up in some other faith, but you know them and you love them. And would you today, as you listen to this message, Keep that person in your heart. It could be a wandering child or a wandering grandchild. It could be a, a neighbor or a friend, a colleague you work with. But would you carry that person in your heart? And Lord Jesus, this is our prayer. As we think about your word and your truth and your calling today, we ask that you would give us a fresh vision of what it means to grow up in faith and to be the people you've called us to be. Your light in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a question for you. How do you know you're growing up? How do you know you're maturing? That you're growing? That you're becoming who you're meant to be? In my home growing up, uh, my dad, once a year, uh, we, we had five kids in our family. We had, we had Allison and Gretchen. Then my parents stopped having kids. Then they had me. Then they stopped having kids again. And then nine years later, they had Lisa. They stopped having kids again. My dad got a vasectomy. A year later, my mom got pregnant again. Long story. Um, and they had Jason. So my parents had five kids, even though they stopped after two. And, and once a year, we'd go out in the garage, and we'd all stand in this one same spot on the wall, and my dad would put a ruler on top of our head, and he'd put a little hash mark, and he'd put the date, and then he'd put, like, for me, KGH, Kevin Garth Harney. And he'd put my initials there. And every year, that would just kind of creep up a little bit. Now, I want you to imagine that one year, uh, my dad is doing this, and he, we walk out there, I stand against the, the wall in the garage, so he puts the ruler on top of my head, he puts a little hash mark, and he looks, and the previous year's mark was four inches higher. I've shrunk four inches in the last year. Question for everybody, this is not a trick question, I want you to actually respond out loud. Would my dad be concerned? How about if for four years in a row, from like the time I'm seven to the time I'm 11, it never went up, stayed the same. Would my dad be concerned? Of course, right? Because growth is expected. Well, what you're doing with this renewed concept, with looking at these different markers, what you're really asking the question is, am I growing? On the kind of hash mark of the wall in God's garage, with you as his son or his daughter, with him kind of watching and seeing where you're at, are you year by year by year growing up in your faith? 
Are, are you rooted more in Scripture today than you were two years ago? Do you know the Word, love the Word, live the Word of God? Are you rooted in Scripture? Because that's part of your journey to spiritual growth. That's part of growing up. Whether you're 9 years old or 99 years old, that's part of the journey. Are you earnestly seeking God in greater measure? Do you worship with greater passion? Do you pray with greater frequency with more people? Are you growing up in Scripture? Are you growing up in worship? Are you growing up in prayer? And today we're going to talk about are you growing up in natural outreach? Do you naturally shine the light of Jesus and share the love of Jesus more today than you did three months ago and a year ago? And if you say, well, on that particular area, I'm kind of here and I just keep staying because I don't do much and it never changes, then I think God would say, whoa, something's wrong. My little girl needs some encouragement here. She's not growing up in one of the fundamentals of being a follower of Jesus. My son is not growing up the way he needs to grow up. And so I want to talk today about what natural outreach looks like. And about how you can be part of it. And, and I know if you've, if you've grown up in a, uh, in a church context where faith is primarily about me growing in faith. And we're not thinking so much about those that are far from Jesus. And maybe some people are even taught growing up you're supposed to stay away from those people because they're going to corrupt you and they're bad. You know, you can't be salt if you're always in the salt shaker not sprinkled around. You can't be light if you hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it. Okay, some of you heard that one before, somewhere along the way, right? I mean, and, and yet, we, we can miss this one. So here's a question for you. Here's a question for you. Is outreach, this natural outreach, possible in our current cultural context? Is outreach even possible in our world today? With all the resistance, with all the conflict, with all of that, if you don't agree with me, you're bad, you're evil. I mean, we're in a very contentious time, you probably have noticed, in our world. Is outreach possible? Well, just remember that when Jesus called his disciples to go and shine his light and to be his people, it was in the first century. One of the central places that ministry was being done was in Rome. If you study the paganism and resistancy and godlessness of first century Rome, you'll say, okay, if, if God can call us to that, his people there, then he can call us today. There's way more openness today than there was back then. And so I want to think together with you about the heart of Jesus the heart of Jesus was to love and save people like you and to love and save people not like you. That's the heart of Jesus. His heart is to save lost people who are wandering. God has a heart for the lost. I showed you that I had an opportunity probably two decades ago to train pastors and leaders in, in Amsterdam. And we were doing this, uh, this training day in Amstelveen, which is right by Amsterdam, with this group of leaders and I was talking about how God loves the lost. God cares about the lost. God, the, the mission statement of Jesus was to seek and save the lost. And as I'm doing this training, uh, this one member of this group of leaders raises their hand. And I'm kind of like, okay, it was not, I'm sort of training. It'd be like in a sermon, something that happened, this ha happened two weeks ago in my church where someone raised their hand during a sermon. So a street person would come in and wandered in, and we had, that was a whole other story. But it, that happens in my church sometimes. But, but this is a training with pastors. person raised their hand. I said, oh, yeah. And they, they said, I don't like that word. And I'd, and I'd been talking about a lot of different things. I said, I, what word? That word you just used. I said, what word? And this person said, lost. I don't like that word lost. I don't like when you use that word about people, that they're lost. And I said, well, that's not my word. He said, that's Jesus' word. I mean, Jesus' mission statement was, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. Read Luke chapter 15. What's it all about? Lost stuff. A lost coin. 
a lost sheep, a lost son. Jesus is the good shepherd who comes to seek out lost sheep. That was you before you knew Jesus. It's you right now if you don't know Jesus. In a church this size and with people online, I suspect there's people listening right now who would say, I'm not even sure if I believe this stuff. I'm just kind of, these people are friendly and they're, they're nice and I'm checking out the Jesus thing. But if you're not yet a Christian, understand that Jesus, like a shepherd with a sheep that's wandered away, that's in danger, he comes looking and seeking after that which is lost. That's the heart of Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want to try to paint a picture for you of this Jesus that we love and that we follow. If you're a Christian, if you have a picture, if you say, okay, well, I'm his disciple. I want to be renewed. I want to grow up in faith. What does that look like? Well, it looks like this, becoming more like Jesus. That's all it really is to be his disciple, is to, is to grow to be more and more and more like Jesus and, and then to help others to do the same, to walk with other people in this journey of becoming more like Jesus. And, and so, so if you say, okay, well then, if that's the goal, to be more and more like Jesus, then let's get a picture of Jesus. So I want to I give you some pictures of Jesus from the scriptures I won't read all the passages, but if you're a note taker, you can write these down. You can go back and, and, and look these up if you want to pick up the, the, the sermon and kind of write these down. But I'm going to say who Jesus is. According to the scriptures, I'm going to walk through the, the Gospel of John. I'm going to say who Jesus is. I'm going to say to you, somebody say amen. And when I say that, I want you to respond by, back by saying amen. If you're feeling sassy, you can say hallelujah or praise the Lord. Your call. But if you believe that Jesus is each of these things, when I say somebody say amen, I'm going to ask you to respond. Now, to let you know, if you're a good Reformed person, saying amen won't make you a Baptist. <laughs> it's okay. There's not going to be like, poof, what happened? I'm a Baptist. It's not going to happen, all right? Amen is a good Bible word that says, I agree, may it be so, and you put your stamp of affirmation on it, all right? So Jesus was and is the Messiah. Somebody say Amen. Oh, that was good. Are there some recovering Baptists here? I think there are. Um, so, okay, he, he, he is the Savior. He is the liberator. That's, if, if you're trying to get a vision of Jesus, he is Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior. The Lord Jesus that we worship is the bread of heaven. Somebody say amen. Oh, oh wait, oh, hang on, hang on. You're jumping ahead of me. That's good. If you're that good, I'm going to say it. I don't even want to say, I don't even want to say someone say amen. Because some of you were like, there, you were on it, okay? Let's try this, let's try this. He is the bread of heaven. Yeah. Oh, this is going to get good. This is going to get good. You didn't tell me how, how good these people <laughs> I said, you didn't tell me how good these people are. He said, I didn't know. <laughs> I, think you, I think you knew. I think you knew. The food for your soul. Well, now I'm just preaching. Wait, wait, wait. Wait till, wait till I point to you. That he is, he's the bread of heaven. He's the food for your soul. He is what sustains you. But listen to this. He is the one who can sustain every person in this broken world who's hungering and drinking from the sewer and the toilet of this world, who's lapping up all this garbage. And Jesus comes and says, you know, you're, you're, you're at the trough of the world, and I offer you the bread of heaven. Jesus, now this is it. Jesus is the living water. Amen. All right. It, for people thirst. People are dying of thirst, and Jesus comes to satisfy. Jesus is the light of the world. He brings light in our darkness, and we need it. This world needs his light. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world for all that will receive his grace, all that will call on his name. He is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the gate. 
He's the way in. And by the way, listen closely, there is no other gate. He's the gate for the sheep to come home. And so we celebrate that. We, we, we recognize that he's the one that opens the way to heaven. One more. Jesus was and is the resurrection and the life. Amen. He is the hope of eternity. When this life ends, every human being will spend forever either with God in his presence or separated from God. And Jesus is the one who brings resurrection and life today and every day and forevermore. When you begin to look at who Jesus is, and just quiet your heart and listen to this. this no amens on this one, just listen. He is the Messiah. He is the bread of heaven. He is the living water. He is the light of the world. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the gate who, through whom we come to the Father. He is the resurrection and the life. That's our Jesus. If you believe that, and by your amens, I believe you do. If you believe that, how can we just stand back and cross our arms and just kind of watch the world wander away from him? And not say, oh, you need to know this Jesus. Well, that might be a little socially uncomfortable. Oh, but you need to know this Jesus. Can I tell you about this one I've met? My Messiah, my Savior, the gate, the one, the one who has opened the way, the resurrection, the life. Your story to share is not a story about you. It's a story about him. So know who he is. And then a question. If you would have asked Jesus this question, what are you doing here? Jesus, when Jesus walked on this earth, when Jesus came, into this world, if you would have asked Jesus, what are you doing here? These are some of the answers he would have given you. He would have said, I've come to reveal the love of the Father. If you said, Jesus, what are you doing here? He'd say, I've come to reveal the love of the Father. Go ahead and bring that. There you go. He would say this, I've come to share the truth of the Father. I want to bring the love of the Father. I want to share the truth of the Father. Jesus, why did you come to this world? To offer the grace of the Father, the grace of heaven. Jesus, why did you come to this world? To proclaim the gospel that the Father had placed in his heart to bring to this world. Jesus, what are you doing here? Why did you come to this world? To invite repentance toward the Father. To invite people to come home again. Like that wandering lost son in Luke chapter 15 who finally came to his senses and came home. And as, and as his father sees him off in the distance, he doesn't think to himself, oh, you already got yours, kid. You blew it. You took, you took your cut of the action before you left. Don't think you're coming back here. And getting some of what's mine and what's your brother's. The father runs to him. Runs to him. Just bring the best cloak. Put the ring on his hand. The, the sign of the authority of the, the family seal. Put the ring on his hand. His feet are so dirty. Bring the best. Just put on a party. My lost child has come home. Jesus came to bring the grace of heaven to a graceless world. And once we've got it, we don't just keep it for ourselves. We can't. We can't. We're moved by God to share that grace. He came to pay the price for sin against the Father. On the cross, when he cried out, to Telestai, it's finished. He came to pay the price to take the sin, to take the shame, to take the burden all on himself. So that the Father could look at you and me and say, you are washed white as snow. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you. He's thrown your seas into the deepest, your sins into the deepest sea. And says, you're cleansed. Come. You, you, your way to heaven is made possible through Jesus Christ. Jesus, why did you come and walk on this earth? 
to call us to follow the Father, that we are to follow Him and live for Him and be His people. That's the call. When you know who Jesus is, when you know why Jesus came, you start to get a picture of what your life is meant to be. Because if you do just a basic, cursory, rudimentary study of the word disciple, the word disciple means follower. Who are we following? Are you, are you all meant to be a follower of Don Porter? No. As much as I love Don and respect Don, that's not your calling. Kids, are you called to ultimately follow your parents? You're called to respect them and honor them and learn from them. But we follow Jesus. Someone say amen. amen. We follow Jesus. Now everybody listen closely. And if you're looking at your notes or looking at something else, look at me for a second. Please hear this. When you follow Jesus, you're always going toward the lost and the broken and the forgotten and the sheep that are wandering. Why do I say that? Read the Gospels. Jesus was always looking for the lost. You ever, you ever see a, a little, little child with a parent or a grandparent, and, and the, the parent or grandparent is holding that child's hand because there's like a busy street and there's things going on, they're holding their hand. And as the parent's walking, holding the hand of that child, where does the child go? Always, where does the child go if they're holding the hand of the parent? Where do they go? They go where the parent goes. If you're a disciple, you're holding the hand of Jesus. Again, it doesn't matter if you're 9 years old or 99 years old. If you're a disciple, you're holding the hand of Jesus. So where is it that you go? You go wherever Jesus is going. And I'll tell you, he's always looking for one more lost sheep. I ask you to think about one person in your heart and your life that doesn't yet know Jesus. And to carry them in your heart right now during this sermon. Jesus is going toward that person. When I became a Christian, and I'm going to share kind of one story that kind of overarches all of this. When I became a Christian, I grew up in an atheistic home, five kids. Uh, we weren't raised to be hardcore atheists. We were just raised with no God. My dad was a computer, computer graphics designer for Hughes and for Lockheed. My mom was a math and science teacher. There was no God in our home. I didn't know that Christmas and Easter were religious holidays. We, I only heard the name of God when my dad was angry, and it wasn't praise the Lord. Um, and so, I mean, that's, that's what I grew up in. And so, so um, for, for our family growing up, there, there was... Um, there was no um, faith at all, but there, except for faith in self. But when I became a Christian, out of this background, and one by one by one, all of the kids in my family became Christians, and three of us ended up in different kinds of ministry, um, and my dad was just confused. I shared this with the team yesterday. My dad was like, I tried to raise you so well, and look what happened. You know, they all, you all became Christians and went into ministry and stuff. And it wasn't like he was proud. He, he was kind of joking, but kind of serious. But that day I became a Christian... The person that God put in my heart the most to pray for was my dad. That he would come to know Jesus. And I prayed for him and shared with him for a decade and a second decade and a third decade and a fourth decade. I remember, I remember, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll share a little bit more, but just, just it, it, on, on the edge of life when he was going to die, potentially die from a heart procedure, my brother Jason had become a Christian, was walking with my dad with a gurney towards surgery and walked through the gospel one more time because Jason was, had to push back for 20 years, but he'd finally become a Christian. He shared with my dad, are you ready yet to receive Jesus? Because my dad has heard so much about Jesus from his kids through the years. Dad, are you ready? You know, are you ready? They're rolling along to receive Jesus. And my dad looks at him and says, not today. And off he goes to surgery. They say there's a 30% chance he could not come out of surgery, but not today. Who's the person you carry in your heart? Just know as much as you love that person and want them to know Jesus, Jesus wants it even more. Jesus wants it even more. And so, so we look and, and we say, okay, if, if Jesus is who he said he was, 
then his mission becomes our mission. Okay, and do you see this? Do you see the reality that the mission of Jesus is my mission because my calling is to take his hand and follow him? So if he's going somewhere, I'm going there with him. I have to. I'm holding his hand. I'm his disciple. So if, you, if you're being renewed, if you're growing up in faith, then you're walking with Jesus. And that means you're always walking toward the world. And, and so, so you, you look say, okay, well, if that's who Jesus is, then let's ask this question. Who am I? What does the Bible say about me? Who am I if I'm a follower of Jesus? And again, these, you can write down these passages. You can look at them later. Who am I? I am a fisher of people. When Jesus called disciples, he gave them a mission. And when he called fishermen, he said, okay, now you're not fishing for fish, you're fishing for people. And, and so you are called to be a fisher of people. You are called to do all you can to share the love and the light and the presence of Jesus. That's a picture the Bible gives you of yourself. You are called, in John chapter 4, a conduit of living water. Jesus Christ is the living water, but in your workplace, that water flows through you. At your school, on your campus, that water flows through you. In your neighborhood, the water, the living water of Jesus flows through you. Everywhere you go, the living water of Jesus, you're a conduit of the living water of Jesus Christ. Jesus makes that clear. Who am I? The light of the world. It's interesting. I think of it like the moon brings light. on. Our, have you ever been out on a really, like on a night where the, the moon is big and the sun's reflecting off it, and it's like almost light outside because of the, the moon. Well, it's not the moon. It's the light of the sun. So Jesus, Jesus is the light of the world, but we become his little mini lights as his light shines off of us. We're those little night lights that just give enough, you know, get enough light for people to kind of see where to walk. And so, so Jesus says to you and to me, you are my light in this world. So we have, to, we have to get a picture of who Jesus is, but who we are. We are fishers of people. We're conduits of living water. We're light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are called to be salt in this world so that when you're around, when people are around you, they start to thirst for something that will satisfy them because they see something more in you than they see in themselves. They see the presence and the glory. And the, they don't know what it is, but they see the presence and the glory and the power of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. And they begin to thirst for something more. And you get to point them to who Jesus is. And, and, and so we, we are all these things because Jesus says that we are. We become that salt that creates thirst to point to Jesus, the living water. But here's the problem. Our response is often to go, yeah, who am I? I, I, I can't do this. And, and can I tell you, I'm, I'm a pastor ordained in the Reformed tradition. I spent 20 years pastoring in West Michigan around people who have grown up, grown up in the church and with a lot of different church traditions that are very similar to what some of you grew up in. Some of you grew up in with no church background like I did, but I was kind of adopted in. But I've talked to so many people who've been born into the church and raised in the church who don't believe that God can use them to shine his light and to share his love. Who am I? It's like Moses who said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And God said, I will be with you. Now Moses, go. But Moses was terrified. I, I don't, I'm not a good talker. I, I, I'm not, he put a team around him. He put Aaron, his brother, and others. But, but, but God said, you're going to go. Even though Moses, you don't feel equipped. Esther, Esther, a prisoner of war. She was a POW. Esther, Esther was a foreigner in a foreign land. And God said, you stand before the king and you share what I put on your heart. Why? Because you're my person. And my people speak for me in this world. Mary, I'm just a young girl. I'm a virgin. And yet God says, I'm going to bring the Messiah through you. you remember what she says? May it be to me as you have said. Surrender. 
She didn't feel prepared or equipped that the Son of God would come through her. But she said, I'm your servant. Do what you want to do through me. The Apostle Paul, I killed Christians. I persecuted the church. He, Paul would go on to say, I'm the worst of sinners. And God says, perfect. Perfect. I will use you. And when Paul reminded people of his background, you know what he was saying? He was saying, if God can use me to bring the gospel to the world, a killer of Christians and a persecutor of the church, if God can use me, what's the implication? He can use us. And he can use anybody, all of us. So stop disqualifying yourself and stop, and stop giving excuses. And just say to God, I will recognize who I have been made through faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to give you a few, just sort of some next steps to think about in your own life. Will you listen for yourself and let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart? I want to just ask you, as a matter of fact, just kind of quiet your heart. And I'm going to just walk through some things that I want to ask you to say, Spirit of God, is this for me? All right? Maybe what you need to do if you're going to take a next step into sharing your faith is to admit your fear. Just say, God, I'm, I'm afraid if I talk about Jesus, I'm going to lose friends. I'm afraid I'm going to be ostracized from the people around me. I'm, I'm afraid I'll say it wrong. But just, it, just admit your fear to God. Next, check my theology. Check your theology. Do you believe that there's a real heaven and a real hell and the way to heaven is through Jesus Christ and faith in his name? Do you believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him? If you check your theology, if you, maybe some people aren't reaching out with the gospel because they don't really believe the gospel. Maybe you have this soft universalism. Well, God's loving. Eventually, everyone will just go to heaven anyways. What's it matter what I say or do? Wrong. God is loving, but everyone doesn't go to heaven. The way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. He's the gate. People have to receive that. Check your theology. Own my calling. Some of you right now just need to quietly say in your heart, I've been running for my calling. I, if you say I'm a Christian, then you are called to be salt and light. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, then you're going to lost sheep. And maybe you haven't owned that calling. Well, that, that's, that's, for, that's for Pastor Don. That's for evangelists. That's for outgoing extroverted people. That's for a few crazy people in the church who believe this stuff and do this stuff, but it's not for me. If, you are, if, you say, if I say, are you a Christian, and you raise your hand, then you have to say, I'm salt, I'm light, I'm sent on a mission by Jesus. You have to. Because that's what Jesus said. So own your calling and recognize that God has spoken to you and called you. Evaluate my schedule. Am I making time to hang around with non-believers? When I became a pastor at Shoreline Church, where I pastor now, I went to every one of the pastors and I said, how much time do you spend with non-believers? And a couple of them didn't spend any time with non-believers. And I said, you can't be a pastor here if you continue to not be around non-believers. Because you can't be a light covered, you know, you can't be salt in the salt shaker. And those couple of pastors that were resistant have become incredibly effective at sharing the love of Jesus with people who don't know Jesus in a way that fits them. I wish I could tell you stories about that. I don't have time, but just life change. Find a mentor. Who's someone who is passionate about the lost and praying much for the lost and spending time with lost people and sharing their faith naturally and learn from that mentor. Count the cost. Will this be uncomfortable? Yes. It put Jesus on a cross to pay the price for our sins. It costs us something to share the love of Jesus. Live like Jesus. Live like him. Read the Gospels and see how Jesus went to the lost, the broken, the forgotten. And then speak like Jesus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how will they hear if someone will not proclaim, if someone will not share the story of Jesus? 
So say, God, give me the right words to speak. Three words I want you to lock into your mind. Prayer, care, and share. A friend of mine, Lon, uh, Lon Allison, used uses these words. He's with Jesus now. He, he led the Billy Graham Center when I first met him, and just an amazing guy. And he talked about prayer, care, and share. He, he said, if you're just an ordinary Christian, and you say, well, I don't know if God can use me to, to help other people know Jesus. He said, just remember these words, prayer, care, and share. Can you pray for people that don't know Jesus for their hearts to be open? Can you pray for yourself to have opportunities to share his love? Prayer, can you do that? If you can pray for people, please say yes. Okay, that's like a C minus and I'm being generous. Can you pray for people that don't know Jesus? Yeah. Of course you can. Care. Can you care for them, love them, serve them, help them? Can you care for people that don't know Jesus? Can you share your stories of faith and the story of Jesus? Oh, you backed off a little there. Did you, do you feel it, Pastor? I felt it back off just a little bit. Prayer, care, share. A little nervous there. You can tell your stories. So, there's one way to heaven, but many ways to share the story. And I just want to finish by telling you the story of my journey with my dad. And the, there won't be any more slides, uh, so just uh, we'll stop on the slides. I just want to, for 40 years, I prayed for my dad. For 40 years, I cared for my dad. For 40 years, I shared the story of Jesus with my dad. And then one by one, as my siblings became Christians, where, you know, they began to share with my dad also. Um, about 15 years before he passed away, I sent my dad an email. I said, Dad, I'd love to come down to Orange County. I was living in, uh, well, at that time, I think it was, no, I was living up in, uh, in Central California. I said, Dad, I want to come down to Orange County. No, no, I was still in Michigan. I said, I'll fly out and spend time with you. But I want to take you out to lunch and spend four hours with you and just have a long lunch. And I want to basically tell you every good thing that God has done in my life since I became a Christian at 16 years old till today. Would that be okay? I asked permission to just spend a long lunch and just tell him about how God had moved in my life. So a couple days went by, I got no response. So I sent another note. Dad, I never want to make you uncomfortable. I'm not trying to be pushy, but I'm just wondering, would you be open to me coming down and just having a long lunch and talking about my faith? And so he wrote an email back and he said, I'm taking time to thoughtfully craft a response. That's how my dad would talk and write. Um, so I called him. I said, Dad, I don't ever want to be pushy with you, but you know my heart. For you and my heart for Jesus. And he said, I know that. You, he said, you've never been pushy. You've always been clear, but you've never been pushy. So that's good to hear. I said, Dad, can I come down and take you out to lunch and just share? And he goes, yeah, I'd like that. Let's do that. So I sat with him at Mimi's Cafe in, uh, in Huntington Beach and uh, sat with my dad for three and a half, four hours. And I started with the day I became a Christian. And I just thought through every way that I could think of that God had moved and shown up and helped. I told him about how God had moved in Sherry and I's marriage. And when I would talk about, my, my, when I talk about our relationship, my dad would start to tear up. He, it wasn't that long before that he had lost uh, my mom. And my mom passed away. And so we walked through. And, I, and, and so as I told my testimony of all that God had done, I shared the gospel, the, the fact of God's love, our sin, salvation in Jesus, and the need for us to receive that gift of grace. I walked that simple gospel about four or five times while I was sharing my story. I said, you know, when I was a new believer, I, I heard it this way. And then Gretchen, you know, your, your daughter, my sister, one year older than me, she shared this. And I just walked through the gospel again and again and again. Got to the end of that whole time. I said, Dad, where are you at? Are you open and ready to receive Jesus yet? And he said, that's good for now. And I understood what he was saying. He said, okay, it's been a good talk. We're not going there yet. So at that point, I didn't push. Just kept walking living life. Every time I'd visit my dad, pray, Lord, what's something I could share? What's one way I can 
communicate the love of Jesus in a fresh new way. And then in the middle of COVID, he was living by my sister in North Carolina, hard to travel anywhere at that point. But I said to Sherry, we need to go see my dad. I don't think he's going to, he was battling, he was going through chemo and radiation, battling cancer. And I said, we need to go see my dad. And Sherry said, I believe you're right. We went, flew out there, had two days with my dad. The first day, he was in and out, just kind of, um, you know, when you're going through heavy medication. He was like, he'd have like three or four minutes of, of somewhat unfuzzy consciousness, but not really, he wasn't really himself. The next day, we had another time with him. My sister, who was taking care of him, had gone away through some shopping. It was just me and Sherry. And my dad had this chair where you push a button, it kind of sits you kind of up. And he sat all the way up, and his eyes cleared up. And for about an hour and 20 minutes, he was totally himself. He was sharp. My dad, my dad was a brilliant man. And it had, had a, a lot of that had faith. He was just totally himself. And I said, Dad, can I share with you one more time the story of Jesus? And what I believe. And so as a matter of fact, I just, they just published, republished one of my books. It's in six different languages. I brought this book in six different languages. It's just about how to share your faith and natural. I said, I've tried to think of the simplest way to tell the whole story of Jesus. And I can tell the whole story in eight words. Can I walk you through the story of Jesus with eight words? And I said, and I, said I got it right here. I got it in, in Telugu and Hindi and Spanish. I'm going to do it in English. Um, and, I said, and he said, I'd like that. And there, there Sharon, I sat with my dad. And I walked through the whole gospel with eight words. Here's the eight words, and you could remember this. It's just, just remember, G-O-G-O, go, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples, right? Here's the first two words, God's love. I said, Dad, God loves you. He loved you in your mom's womb. He's loved you your whole life. He knows everything about you, and I talked about the love of God. God's love, that's the G. And then the O, I said, our problem. That's the next two words, our problem. I said, we have sin. We've separated from God. We can't get our, find our way back home again. And I talked about sin and the reality of sin. And I go back to the next G. Says God's solution. So, you know, God's love, our problem, God's solution. I said God's solution is Jesus. And I walked through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and said that, that Jesus Christ has paid the price. I said, but then the last two words are our response. I said, that, that, that's where we are today, our response. Will you receive this gift of God's grace? Will you receive his love? Will you receive his forgiveness? So I looked at my dad. Now we're 40-plus years into this relationship of talking about Jesus fully expecting him to tell me one more time, not today. So I looked at my dad, and I said, Dad, are you ready today to confess your sin and to receive Jesus? And my formerly atheistic dad looked at me, and he said, absolutely. And I said, Dad, let me explain it one more time. <laughs> didn't I? Didn't I? I said, I said, let me explain it one more time, So I got to make sure you know what I'm, and I walked through the, God's love, our problem, sin, God's solution, the cross, the resurrection, the power of Jesus, crushing sin and Satan, and our response. I said, Dad, is that what you're ready to do, to receive the grace of Jesus? And he looked at me, he said, absolutely. And I got to pray with my, we got to pray with my dad. Don, you and Beth prayed for my dad for years. People all over the world have been praying for my dad. But at that moment, the Holy Spirit stirred his heart. You can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. Jesus died and rose again. You get the privilege of telling, you know, praying, prayer, praying for people, share, I mean, prayer, care, loving, serving, yes, but then telling about your life of faith, how God's changed you, how he's worked in your life, and the story of Jesus. And I want to pray right now that God will give you opportunities, you know, as nervous as you might be, as nervous as you might be, that you would pray for opportunities to tell about Jesus, to, to, to for prayer, for care, and for sharing the story of Jesus.
One last little thing. I heard this story years ago. I don't know if it's true or not, but I like the story. It's a story of a husband, husband and wife. The wife was like always talking about her faith totally naturally. The husband made him really nervous, really nervous. And so they're talking one day, and, and the wife says to her husband, she says, I know you believe in Jesus. I know you believe he rose. I know you want people to know Jesus. Why don't you ever talk about your faith? And he said, well, every time I start thinking about it, he said, my mouth gets as dry as cotton, and my hands get totally sweaty. And she looked at him, and she said, like this light bulb went off. She says, oh, she said, then just lick your hands and talk about Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we can be so fearful and so resistant. We, can, we know the gospel. We, if we're Christians, we believe in you. I know that this church is filled with people on campus and online that believe the good news of the gospel, that believe that you are the door and the light and the living water and the way, the truth, and the life and the Lamb of God. We believe that. This is our prayer today, that in these coming months, as Pastor Don and others on the staff team here begin to train people to naturally share their faith. Lord, this is just a starting moment to inspire our hearts. I pray every person here will jump in. They will take that step of faith. And that God, as you, the next time you do a little ruler on the head in the garage of your heavenly home and show where they are spiritually growing when it comes to this natural outreach, that they'll be praying more, they'll be caring more, and they'll be sharing more. And then God, you save people. You change hearts, not us. We just get the privilege of shining your light, sharing your water, telling your stories. Now, Lord, we're going to respond in worship and song. May this song be more than the song. May this be our prayer. And meet us by your spirit in this moment.